Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad that you've joined us today and are ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we do. If you haven't watched us before, we just answer viewers' questions because we think that's a really good way to help people understand their Bible and know a little bit more about their Bible. So you'll see a website and a phone number at the bottom of the screen. Use either one of those anytime you want to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And you direct this program. We'll answer as many questions as we can today. And when I say we, I mean my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're glad you're with us today. Uh, we're going to answer a lot of them, but we always start with one for our viewers. And here's your trivia question for the day. And it's a fill-in-the-blanks question today. The passage from the Bible says, Who can find a virtuous blank? For her price is far above blank. And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you can fill in that famous verse. And uh, see if you know that just a little bit of Bible information. All right, Toby, looks like you drew the first one today. So I get did. us going. All right. The question is this. Why did David say he had sinned only against the Lord when so many other people were hurt by his sin? Okay, well, you're right about that. Uh, David did say that he had sinned only against God. Let's look at Psalm chapter 51, where this is found. Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 4. David, after being confronted by Nathan the prophet in his uh, sin with Bathsheba, says, writes this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. My answer to this is simply that David was king, as you and I both understand uh, in, a, in a monarchy, a king fairly much does what he wants, uh, whatever he pleases. And that was the case not uh, only in Israel, but in all nations of the world. The king decides he wants something to be law. If he wants to do something that's against the law, that's the king's prerogative. And so in this sense, uh, most people, my view, well, that's the king's prerogative. Sure, we might see it as wrong, but... The kings might, as you say, above the law. According to God's law, however, uh, David was not above that law, and he understood there was a king higher than him. And so when he's saying this to God, he, he's kind of cutting to the root of, of the problem of sin, that sin is a transgression against God. Yes, it hurts people. Yes, uh, it has ramifications in, in all areas of life, and certainly in David's life. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
Nathan shares this story of a man and his lamb, and, and you can go through and read it for yourself. But when David hears the story, he says, he just incensed him and enraged him. And he said, the man who did this shall pay fourfold for what he's done. Well, when you look at David's life, he paid fourfold. He lost four sons and he had a whole lot of family dysfunction. That was all the result of sin. Uh, but sin at its core is violation against the Lord. And I think it's a good thing for us to remember. Uh, sin is wrong because it's wrong because God says it's wrong. It violates, it goes against God's will. And David understood that. So regardless of who you are, God has a standard for all people from the highest kings uh, to the lowest servants. And when we sin, it violates his will. First John 5.17 says, all wrongdoing is sin. And that's true for all people. So uh, that's my guess. I think certainly David understood that his sin uh, and, and would see it firsthand that it impacted his family dramatically. But he knew the core of it was it transgressed God's will. Hope that helps you. All righty. Looks like we're on sin questions today. My, my viewer wants to know what is the unpardonable sin? Well, a lot of people think there is some unpardonable sin. One sin that you can do that the party's over. There's no repenting. There's no chance. You're done. Uh, there's not anything like that in the Bible. Now, there's a verse where Jesus was talking, but before we read it, let's make sure we understand. He was talking to some Pharisees, and he had just healed a, a blind and mute man so that the man could talk and see did that in front of everybody. It was clearly a miracle. And the people in the crowd said, you know, this is, this is the son of David. This is the Messiah. He just healed somebody. And the Pharisees said, now he did it by the power of Satan. He did it by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus then spoke to them and said this. Let's look in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. He said, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. All right, let's see if we can understand that a little bit, unpack it and see what he's talking about. Uh, I believe the best way to understand it is Jesus said to them, and this is a very loose translation, all right, you can blaspheme me right now, and you'll still have a chance to be forgiven. But after you've seen everything, if you still blaspheme the Holy Spirit and deny the power of God, then there's no forgiveness. Okay. You see, the Pharisees hadn't seen it all yet. Uh, they saw Jesus as a rabbi, a prophet, a, a troublemaker, and they saw him doing miracles. They couldn't explain that, so they said, well, it's the power of Satan. But they hadn't seen him resurrected yet. They hadn't seen the, all of the story. Uh, we today have seen the rest of the story. Uh, we know that Jesus was affirmed to be the Messiah by his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the whole story. That's the good news. Okay. So at that point, they could blaspheme him, and they still had a chance. Now, today, there's not 
a similar circumstance. We're not going to see Jesus do a live miracle without knowing all the story. What we have is the Holy Spirit's record of everything that happened. And if we look at that and say, nope, I don't believe it. It's just a book written by men. It's a bunch of foolishness. I will not believe. Then there's no forgiveness. If you're in that state, if you continue in that state and deny the power of God, there's no forgiveness. Now, as long as you're alive, you can come to a realization that, yes, it is true. You can believe. But if you stay in that state, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, say, nope, it's all false, then what Jesus is saying, there's no forgiveness for that. Uh, there's no way to be forgiven. You have to accept believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for you, that he was buried and resurrected on the third day and is reigning in heaven. You have to accept that. If you don't, there's no forgiveness. So there's nothing you can say. Some people take that word blasphemy and say, okay, somebody said something bad about God or about the Holy Spirit. Uh, have they blasphemed the Spirit and are they doomed to hell? No, that's not what that verse is talking about. Uh, so in that sense, there's no unpardonable one sin that you can do that you can't ever get forgiven of. But if you reject the message of Christ, there is no forgiveness. All right, a question about speaking in tongues. Uh, the quest viewer asked the question, explain why Christians can't speak in tongues today. Well, the Bible itself uh, was very clear. The Apostle Paul wrote that there would be a time when the, uh, speaking in tongues would come to an end. Speaking in tongues was a spiritual gift um, that manifested in the first century church. We know that it happened, uh, but it was for a reason and for a purpose. Those the reasons and purposes that it existed for then are not uh, prevalent today. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Now, Paul's speaking here on love. Most people know 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous love chapter. He's really talking about spiritual gifts. And he's speaking to a congregation, the church at Corinth, that had a real problem with it because there were some people who, you know, thought because they could speak in prophecy or one could speak in tongues that they were better, mightier, more, you know, uh, uh, higher Christians and Paul admonishes them and says, you need to pursue the greater spiritual gift because the ones that you're pursuing, those are going to pass away. Now, verses 8 through 10, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, prophecy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Okay, so the Bible is very clear. There's going to be a time when, when these special gifts uh, that were given to the church uh, in the first century would come to an end. It seems as we look at the study of speaking in tongues and other spiritual gifts, uh, but, but I'll just narrow in on speaking in tongues. Uh, uh, first is speaking in tongues were actual human languages. In Acts chapter 2, verse 6, the, uh, does, uh, Luke is describing the day of Pentecost uh, the, when the church began and how the Holy Spirit came upon the church at that time. And in verse 5, it says this, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, this is the sound of the wind blowing, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language 
being spoken. Right? The Feast of Pentecost, Jews gathered from all nations in all different areas of the world, and they hear this mighty sound, and then all of a sudden they hear, they, they, they hear these men, some of them they don't understand, but surely some of them they hear their own language, and they're preaching the good news of Jesus, utterly amazed. Verse 7, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Okay, so that's the first point, that speaking in tongues in the first century, a lot different than what modern speaking tongues is. Uh, those they were actual languages. They were unstudied. They were people who didn't know that language previously, being given the, given the ability to speak that language fluently. For why? For for what purpose? Well, obviously, one to show the power of God, but two, to spread the message of the gospel of Jesus. That was the purpose. Jesus said, "You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to all the ends of the earth." Okay? They wanted this message to get out, and that's what the church was doing, and tongues equipped them and enabled them to do it. So it allowed the gospel to be spread, uh, and it didn't require uh, translators, someone to know both languages and all of that. They didn't have uh, Google Translate back in those days. Uh, the second is that the, the tongues were, uh, and we've already kind of said it, for a specific purpose, to allow the gospel to spread, to show God's power. And uh, Paul does speak to this in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is, a, is not a sign for unbelievers, but for believers. He's talking about the, the tongues that you speak. The purpose of that is to reach people who don't know Christ. So uh, modern tongues, it's, it's more babbling, it's more baby talk, it's something that's kind of self-taught, it's done with the subconscious mind, lots of studies have been done on it, and, and it's just not a real language. And so when you compare it to what was happening in the Bible, uh, very much different. And he, all that being said, the Apostle Paul said these things are going to pass away. So it's a temporary gift, and that's why Christians uh, don't speak in biblical tongues today. Hope that helps. All righty, thank you. Let me take just a moment about a good way to study the Bible. And we do study the Bible here, but it's only 30 minutes a week. And uh, we don't get much of the Bible covered, even in a year or a decade. We don't get much of it covered. But you, if you sit down by yourself and spend some time in the Bible each day, uh, you can know your Bible a whole lot better. Now, we know that's hard sometimes to get started. It's hard to stick with it. Uh, there's lots of different methods of studying the Bible. Uh, some of them are better than others, but whatever works for you is the best one. Uh, we've got some tools that we think are real helpful, and we offer them absolutely free if you'd like to get to studying the Bible. Here's a course that we'll send you, the first one. There's eight lessons in it, just a good overview of the Bible. Once you get through with that one, we've got some more detailed ones that take you into a book or this life of Jesus, a lot of different studies. You can keep studying the Bible a long time with Know Your Bible Study tools. Uh, maybe you're not into paper and uh, pen and uh, mailing things. We've got some online courses and happy to offer you those. 
Uh, just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and they will get you started <clears throat> on some of our online courses that you can do anytime, any place you want. If you've got an electronic device that can get onto the Internet, you can study the Bible. So all of those are great ways. Uh, we've had thousands of people take us up on those offers over the years and uh, are learning a lot about the Bible. So if you're interested in getting started, knowing your Bible a little better, uh, we'd be glad to help you. Just use the phone number, the website, or that special website I gave you. Uh, tell us what you'd like to study, and we'll get it started for you. All right, I got a question about Satan, a big hypothetical here. Is there any way Satan could be saved, <clears throat> even if he repented? Well, uh, I guess my first answer would be that's the only way he could be <laughs> saved, is if he repented. Uh, the likelihood of that is pretty low, slim and none, as they say. But hypothetically, I guess, yes, if he repented, that could happen. Uh, that's the message of the good news, that if you believe and uh, repent and confess, you can be saved. Uh, now, don't think that's going to happen. Very, very doubtful, like I said. In fact, I think it's impossible for one reason I'll give you in a moment. But let's look at the way the Bible describes Satan. It calls him the enemy, the evil one, the father of lies, a murderer, a deceiver, proud, wicked, and violent. He's a schemer. He's a thief. Uh, that's the way God talks about him. So pretty bad character reference, uh, not much hope in there for repentance. Uh, but beyond what the Bible says about Satan, I think the main reason that I'm not going to spend much time hypothetically wondering if Satan could repent is because God knows the future. God sees the future. He knows what's going to happen. And he's already told us that Satan's not going to repent. Uh, go toward the end of the Bible in Revelation, and he tells what's going to happen uh, at the end of time. And Satan and his angels are going to be cast into the lake of fire. So there's no repentance in the, the future, uh, hypothetically, if, yeah, I guess so, but not going to happen. <laughs> All right. The uh, question is, are your days numbered? Yeah, yes, your days are numbered. Mine are, too. Uh, we are finite beings. We have limits on us in all sorts of ways. And uh, that's part of being a created being. And one of those is that we have a, a start date and an end date, you might say. We are, are limited in the life that we have. And it, the sooner we realize that, uh, the closer to wisdom that will bring us. Let's look at a couple of words from the Psalms, Psalm chapter 90. Verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, obviously, uh, no one knows the number of days that we have. You may have a uh, hundred or you may have uh, many thousand. Uh, you may have one. It, we just don't know. But when we think about we have fewer days left than we've ever had, uh, that says, well, okay, I'm running out of time. So I need to live in the right way. Seek the Lord and do His will. Psalm 139, verse 16, speaking of the Lord and uh, how He worked, works in creation, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in Your book before one of them came to be. 
So yeah, we, we have a limited number of days. How many days do we have? Well, only God knows that number. Uh, but we do have a limit, and uh, with the, whatever days that we have left, we really have uh, one responsibility, and that is uh, to get right with the Lord. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. No matter what you do with your days, uh, make sure you're ready for that day. hope that helps you. <clears throat> All right, I got a question about baptism. Can a person baptize themselves? Well, interesting question. Uh, let's start with the Bible. There is no biblical example of that happening. Uh, there was always at least one other person there. I guess always at least two other people there, if you get real technical about it. Uh, Philip and the eunuch is the most <clears throat> Uh, unattended baptism there seems to be in the Bible and the chariot driver was probably there watching so at least two witnesses uh, so we don't have a biblical example of a self baptism now I think one reason for that uh, is that one of the purposes of baptism is a public proclamation uh, you're saying not just to God but you're saying to the world uh, that yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And I, I'm obeying what he said to do, and I want to be one of his followers. Uh, for it to be a public proclamation, uh, there needs to be a witness to know, make it public, I guess. So I, I think that's one of the purposes, that it's a good idea uh, to have uh, actually as many witnesses as you can. I think it's the more you have, the better. Uh, you're showing more people your belief and what you're doing and may influence some of them in some way. So uh, having a witness, having somebody often that taught you the gospel, perhaps baptize you, uh, is meaningful. Somebody that can be kind of a mentor to you in life or whatever. There's lots of options, but uh, I guess my point is the Bible always has somebody doing the baptizing. Now, our viewer asked, could a person baptize himself? And I guess I could dream up a hypothetical scenario. Somebody's on a desert island. Uh, somehow they have a New Testament, and there's nobody else there, and they're never going to be rescued. Uh, they read the New Testament and decide they need to be baptized. <clears throat> In that situation, I guess I'd recommend they baptize themselves, but not very likely that's going to happen. But uh, to answer the viewer's question, can a person? I don't think the Bible prohibits it. I don't think it's a good practice. Uh, I don't think there's going to be one chance in a million that that's going to be, be necessary. Uh, but the Bible speaks of somebody doing the baptizing all the time. I think that's the safest and the best. And good for a lot of reasons. We take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We are sponsored by the Churches of Christ in your area, and we like to mention a few of them each week. Here are two that support Know Your Bible out in western Kansas, Great Bend, Kansas, and Scott City, Kansas. Both of those fine groups of Christians in those uh, cities uh, believe that what we do here helps people understand the Bible and helps support us. And we like to mention them and invite you to drop in and see them sometime. If you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed at either of these churches. 
maybe you know somebody that attends the Great Bend Church of Christ or the Scott City Church of Christ, uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Tell them you watch this program and appreciate it. And thank them for keeping it on the air for you. So visit them or any Church of Christ in your area and uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. A generational question. A viewer wants to know in the Bible. The Bible talks about <clears throat> a generation passing. How long is a generation? Well, there's not a specific Bible verse that I can point to on average a generation is roughly about 30 years. Uh, that uh, seems to be universally true, not just in biblical times, but also in our time as well. We have uh, millennials, we have uh, Gen Xers, we have the Bible, uh, Bible boomers, baby boomers. <laughs> uh, you know, generations uh, on average around 30 years or so passing from, from one to the other. Uh, in the Bible, the, the Greek word genia is the, the base word for where we get the word generation. And the meaning of that can really depend on the context. It can mean uh, a genetic line referring to a specific family, uh, generations of uh, uh, family. It can refer to a time frame, which is what you're asking about. It can also refer to a culture. Jesus said, oh, faithless generation uh, is an example. So in, in regard to the time, we're never given a specific uh, number, but on average, when you look at the genealogies and such, roughly 30 years uh, seems to be about the mark for the generation. Hope that helps. All righty. Got one of my favorite questions we've ever gotten here this week. How did Noah know which animals were male and female? Like crocodiles. <laughs> and your mind can just go all kinds of places on that one. But uh, interesting question. And my answer to it is that would have been pretty tricky, probably. But I, I think we get the wrong idea that Noah was the one that rounded up all the animals. It wasn't a big roundup. He didn't go out with Ham, Shem, and Japheth and some ropes and start bringing in animals. Uh, impossible for one or for a pair of every kind of animal to get in the ark God certainly had to direct it so I think God was the one that selected male and females uh, even crocodiles and got the right ones to go to the ark so I think it was miraculous uh, I admit that would have been a little difficult in, in some cases but I don't think Noah had to worry about that all he had to do was open the door and welcome them, and here, here they came. Uh, so, fun question, but I don't think that was Noah's problem. <laughs> All right, let's take time and answer our trivia question for the day. And today's was a fill-in-the-blanks question. Uh, who can find a virtuous something for her price as far above something? Some of you recognize that from Proverbs chapter 31. And the verse reads, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. And that passage, all of Proverbs 31, is a description of the ideal woman. And uh, the wise man said, If you can find a, a great woman, uh, you've got something very valuable there, which all of us, especially us males, understand is certainly true. Uh, an excellent woman is worth everything in the world so good verse hope you got that filled in correctly and you might notice our uh, trivia questions have changed a little bit we were challenged to make them a little more difficult by some of our viewers so uh, we've changed them just a little bit and you might want to start having a pencil at the start of the program 
uh, to write them down because some of them are going to take a little bit of thinking, perhaps. So hope you got that one right. A virtuous woman's worth more than rubies. We're glad you've been with us today and hope that we got to your question. If not, we got more coming up next week, and we'll do the best to get to yours. If you give us your name and address when you call in or your emails even better, we'll get you an answer in the mail quickly. Glad you've been here and hope you come back next week. Until then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.